Blog Talk Radio. Guys, Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to our show. It is Wednesday, March 25th, 2015. It's amazing that we are uh, almost a quarter of the way through 2015 already. Uh, we're, we're producing the show live from Harlem, USA, and uh, we welcome you. We have a great show tonight. It's one of my favorite shows of the year because we get to talk about fantasy sports. And I know in the Guys Guys broadcast, we've been dealing with a lot of uh, wonderful guests, a lot of uh, writers, a lot of uh, metaphysical writers, uh, some entertainment people, a couple of sports people, and a lot of dating experts, But uh, and anything really that has to do with life, love, and the pursuit of happiness. But it's all in the Guys Guys world. And as we've discussed many times, Guys Guys are all about when women, men and women can be at their best, everyone wins. And one of my favorite shows is talking about sports because a lot of guys, guys like sports, but you don't have to like sports to be a guy's guy. Uh, and you don't have to be a guy's guy and uh, like sports. Uh, but that's what we're doing tonight. And we're going to talk about baseball. And our guest is the fantasy sports Sherpa, Scott Swaney. And Scott has a uh, website for football. He's the fantasy uh, football Sherpa and also the fantasy baseball Sherpa. And he's going to be on in a few moments. We're going to spend some quality time doing a deep dive, getting everybody out there ready for their fantasy baseball drafts that are coming up in the next week or so. We're going to talk about position scarcity. We're going to talk about the National League, the American League, sleepers, busts, rookies, injuries, the whole gamut. Uh, Let me first start out a little bit with uh, uh, our information. Uh, the name of uh, my website is robertmanny, M-A-N-N-I.com, where we have a new blog every week. We've got videos and all kinds of information on my novel, The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love. Uh, as I had mentioned a few uh, podcasts ago, uh, my screenplay has now been uh, presented. It's out there getting looked at, and uh, we'll see what type of reaction we get to that. I'm hoping for an option soon, but we'll see. It's a long process, and uh it took me two years to really get it right, and I got notes from different directors and uh, really want to, and I did a TV pilot and treatment also first, so uh, it's pretty polished and uh, very excited about it, and I've got some fantastic people who were kind enough to take a look, so we'll see what happens there. Again, robertmanny.com is my website. Uh, Facebook, Robert Manny Author. You can just hit me up if you want to friend, friend me, Robert Manny. Uh, Twitter at Robert Manny, YouTube Robert Manny author, and as always, all of our 130 Guys Guys Radio podcasts are available to download at your leisure on iTunes. If you want to call in tonight, if you have a question for myself or for the fantasy baseball Sherpa, Scott Sweeney, the number is 347-945-5834, 347-945-5834. So what's been going on out there? Well, uh, you know, the weather in New York is just finally starting to change a little bit. It's just been really cold, and it's been cold deep into March. Today was the first day that we kind of cracked 40s. And while it looks like now the snow is out of there, and now we're we're heading towards baseball season. And one of the great things about baseball, you know, if if you're not a fan, you might not understand, like, what is the, what is the allure of baseball? Well, it is it has been the American pastime. It's a really old game. It takes a lot of strategy. One of the hardest things to do in any sport is to hit a you know, hit a, hit a the ball being thrown at your way your way at 90 miles an hour or sometimes more than that uh, with a with a stick basically and uh, it's a it's a fun game and and it represents to a lot of people uh, that spring, springtime is here and it represents renewal and uh, hope and uh, the coming winter uh, winter months being gone and the coming summer months ahead. For, especially for people in the northern part of the, the United States. Uh, and it is a global game now. You have great 
seems, in Japan and Taiwan and South America and Latin America and and, and even Europe. So uh, it's become a global sport, and uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun, and I have a lot of memories. When I was a kid, I, I remember playing in uh, everything from Robin League all the way through high school, played a lot of different positions. I remember as a kid, I used to, when I was about eight or nine, I would walk over to, we lived near the high school, and I used to walk over to the high school, and I had this field, my field set up, and there was three big trees on this big field, and one was, the two trees were like left, the left field foul pole and the right field foul pole, and there was a deep one right in center field, so I had this natural kind of stadium set up, and then against the wall uh, where the uh, the football team used to go in and out, there was, uh, I had a box drawn on there and I used to go up there and pitch and I used to play other kids and stuff, but I would pitch and pitch and pitch for hours throwing, uh, into the box and practicing my craft. And I remember a lot of the, the high school football players would, you know, I'd bring a bat and they, we used to take a baseball bat and like saw off, uh, the slice off, slice it in half. Not cut in half, but slice half of it off uh, vertically. And uh, I used to, uh, you know, try to strike these guys out and stuff. And, uh, you know, I had a lot of fun. And I spent a lot of time by myself doing that. And really, uh, I would imagine lineups who I was pitching against. And uh, it was just, it's just, it's just a great game. And then my parents started taking my brother and I to Yankee games. And uh, I remember we'd see the, uh, every year we went to see Old Timers Day. So we would see the current Yankee greats, and this was in the sweet spot where the Yankees were winning World Series when they had Mickey Mantle and Roger Maris and Joe Pepitone and people like that. And then we'd see a lot of the old timers. And then over time, I would go to the games by myself or with my friends and uh, went to World Series games, everything from the the 90s games to the 2000 games. And it's just been just been a wonderful part of my life and uh so baseball means a lot to a lot of people i want to touch on one other subject between before we bring scott out here and that is you know there's so much anger out there today that it's just it's it's disturbing i was on uh facebook today and somebody put up a video of uh there was this little toddler he's about three or four in uh and maybe that's just at the borderline of toddler and little kid. But anyhow, he's in the supermarket and he's online with his mother, the checkout line. He's got one of those little carts. And he he bangs into the gentleman in front of him, you know, repeatedly. And the mother should definitely have reeled him in. But, uh, you know, he did it two or three times. It wasn't that bad. And the guy uh, then turned around and he took a carton of milk out of the little kid's car, uh, cart and opened it and poured it over the kid's head. And I found it shocking, uh, but what was really shocking was that uh, I, uh, 485 people, at last count, had been in favor of this. And I was the lone person who suggested that, you know, toddlers don't have impulse control. And the mother was wrong. She obviously should have reined the kid in. But how can you be so angry that you would be in favor of pouring milk over a child's head in a, in a, in a retail store. I mean, are, are you kidding me? And the comments were, got to teach them the difference between right and wrong. It should have been flour. I mean, what the little bastard, what is wrong with people? Why are they so angry? It's just amazing what's happening in our society where the, the lack of, love and understanding this is a this is this is a toddler and you know what is this the age adrian peterson uh, uh defense like he's got to learn right and wrong so you you beat him with a stick i mean come on and i i don't get worked up on too many things and i rarely post when i see something like that on facebook but uh the the comments were so negative and so nasty that i, I put a you know basically a pretty mild comment up there, and nobody trashed me, uh, which they could have, but everybody was in in favor of pouring the milk over the kid's head, except one person said, what if he had autism or something? But that's not even the point. The point is, would you, would you like that done to your child? 
I mean, come on. Re- regardless if he wasn't supervised properly, it's still a baby. So anyhow, maybe I say that because I have a little uh, 22-year-old. And I tell him, like, don't bang on the radiator. And he goes right over and does it. And don't bang on the radiator. And he goes over and does it. But I know it's because it takes a few years for a child to get impulse control. And uh, anyhow, let's let's promote love and uh, not anger. So uh, let's talk about something fun now. Scott Sweeney is the fantasy baseball and fantasy sports Sherpa. He's a friend of mine. He's been in the business for many years. He's got a, a proprietary algorithm that he uses. His website is fantasysportssherpa.com. Uh, he's got fantasybaseballsherpa.com, fantasyfootballsherpa.com. And uh, you can sign up for his service. Now's the time to do it. It's very affordable, and he has very keen insights. And um, and he's in a million different leagues. So let's let's bring him on right now. Hello there, Scott. Hey, Robert. How are you? Uh, pretty good, pretty good. Thanks so much for being our guest. Uh, it's always a pleasure to have you on to talk about uh, talk about fantasy sports. Um, did I get your information correctly? Yes, you did. And um, yes, you did. And I'm just uh, glad that you haven't had any incidents like that with Sky in the supermarket yet. <laughs> I was just, so, I got to tell you, I don't want to get off subject, but I was just so shocked. And it's just that people are angry, I guess. I mean, like, these are children. Come on. But anyhow, uh, one thing I've learned from having a, a young son, at a, and I'm a, a older parent, if you will, uh, is patience. You know, they will really try your patience. And um, you just have to suck it up and say, you know what, they don't know. And uh, even if you say, don't do this, and they do it, they just can't help themselves. Uh, and you just have to wrap that around your head and... Uh, and keep going. But for, I, w- I was surprised that so many people, and some of them had kids too, were so pro uh, doing something so nasty to a child. So anyhow, that's that. So let's talk about baseball. Um, how did you, how did you actually decide that you really wanted to get into the kind of the become the sports sherpa? Well, actually, I had started out trying to come up with a, a new statistic that I was going to market to the 30 major league baseball teams in hopes of, you know, landing a, a job with one of them. So I worked on this new statistic for a year and sent out feelers to all the baseball teams and didn't get too far with that. But in the course of doing that, a friend of mine, actually a, a woman, she offered me to, you know, a spot co-managing her fantasy baseball team with her. So I did that. And in the course of preparing for that, you know, I put together a lot of statistics, but there was a lot of information I wanted that I couldn't find. And so I put it together for myself, and then I figured, well, if I want it and can't find it, chances are the same holds true for the, you know, the 10 million other people that play fantasy baseball. So that's where the idea for fantasy baseball, Sherpa, came from. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, let's get right into it then. Um for, for the benefit, just real quick recap for those who are, you know, maybe going to embark on a league for the first time, uh, the difference between a draft and auction and daily games. Sure. The drafts, you know, people you know, choose their positions ahead of time, their draft positions, and then you know, most drafts are what are called snake drafts where, say, you had 12 people in the league, the first person drafts first, the second person drafts second, all the way to 12, and then the 12th person would have the first pick of the second round, and it just goes back and forth, snaking through the order like that for however many rounds you have. Auctions, typically, you'll start out with a fixed amount of money, say $260 that you have to put your whole team together. So you know, owners, fantasy owners bid on players, and you know the idea is that you have... You know, you assemble the best team you can subject to the constraints of, you know, the amount of money you have to spend and the roster positions that you have to fill. The daily games are, they're, they're a hybrid. They're more like the, an auction in the sense that the player's value is assigned ahead of time. And then what you have to do is try to put together the best possible team, again, within a salary constraint and given the player's assigned values, the main difference is, as the name suggests, the games, the league actually only lasts, or the game only lasts for one day. So you could, in theory, play you know, 180 times 
during the season then. But uh, that's the basic difference between the the different types of leagues. Okay. Um, Let's talk about the, uh, you know, position scarcity. Um, This year, uh, looking at uh, Major League Baseball, we can go American League and National League. Um, I've been doing my research. It it looks like uh, in the American League, uh, there's been uh, some injuries as well as some trades and free agent signings that have led uh, some top pitchers out of the league. So let's start with the American League and then the National League. How does this, if I'm correct, how does this impact the American League drafts and auctions as well as the National League? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head. The Probably the most obvious migration, if you will, for a number of years it seems like you know, the players that have changed leagues have been moving from the National League to the American League. But this year, you know, there were a number of players either traded or signed as free agents, you know, away from the American League and into the National League with um, Max Scherzer leaving Detroit and signing with Washington probably being the most prominent example of that. Um, so there's there's definitely fewer uh, top-notch pitchers in the American League this year. I also think that second base tends to be a position that is pretty hard to fill if you don't get one of the top guys. Uh, and the way I judge that is, you know, you, you know, sort of go through the rankings and then figure out, you know, are your middle infielders going to come from the second base or the shortstop position? And it seems in the majority of the rankings in the leagues that I've done so far, the majority of the middle infielders are coming from shortstop and the majority of the corner infielders are coming from first base. So I would say second base and third base, you know, tend to be a little bit on the short end of the talent stick this year. And would that be both uh, both leagues? Yeah, as a general rule, that's that's true for both both leagues. So, yes. Now, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, okay. in general, when somebody says position scarcity, what they're talking about. I mean, there's certainly you know equal number of players at you know all the positions in terms of you know starting number of players, you know, in each league. Since there's an equal number of teams in each league, but what position scarcity means to me is you're looking for where are the drop-offs in talent you know, from one position to the next, and the drop-offs tend to be really steep at certain positions like second base and third base where you have a few really talented options, and after that a bunch of mediocre or you know, subpar options. So when I say position scarcity, that's what I mean. It's you know, not any harder to find a, you know, a, a second baseman in one league than it is in the other, but to find somebody that you know, is you know, a top talent is, is harder. You know, someone that's not going to hurt your team, that's much harder and at certain positions like second base and third base. So, so strategically, and uh, you can qualify this if it if it differs from snake draft to, to auction to you know I think the daily thing we can put aside because you have to you know that's that's just that's you have to just keep up with and 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 it's a whole different strategic thrust if you will. But for auctions and then snake drafts um, strategically, what would you recommend as considerations in terms of how you handle the position scarcity? For instance. Uh, if you've got middle infielders, you usually have to have three. So I, I'm on the same page as you are. I was taking a look over the last week or so, and I'm like, geez, I, it seems like there's more shortstops than second basemen. And uh, so I'm going to have to try to get a couple of shortstops maybe to take two out of those middle infield spots and then maybe try to get a top second baseman. Um, is that how, you know, is that what the approach should be? Or do you have to have more of a macro approach and then determine how you're going to handle the different position pods, if you will? Well, I think the most important thing, you know, whether you're doing a draft or an auction is to you know, have some idea of how you want to tier the players at each position. You might have, you know, three players in your top tier. You might only have one player in your top tier, but the most important thing you know, from my perspective is to assign the players to relative tiers, and then also you have a sense of how steep the drop-off is from one tier to the next. You know, at some positions, that drop-off will be much steeper than it will be at other positions. You know, outfield and first base, the drop-offs tend not to be as steep. So in those positions, you know, the cost of you know, waiting 
in a draft to take one or in an auction, you know, allocating less money to spend on those. You know, the penalty for doing that, the opportunity cost for doing that is much less at those positions than it would be at a position like we were talking about before, like second base or third base. So, yeah, in an auction, position scarcity tends to be a little bit less of an issue because if you don't get the top-rated guy, you can always bid on the second guy or the third guy, whoever the best alternative left is, versus in a snake draft, you know, the chances are that if a run starts on players at a certain position, you might get left out or, you know, by the time your next turn comes around, you might have six people at that position that have gone off the board. So you have to, you know, plan a little bit more carefully and the position scarcity comes into play a little bit more with snake drafts than it does with auctions. Now, I've always looked at, you know, it's interesting because we're in the, you know, we're in the same league and some owners load up on outfields. They have like an all-star outfield. I mean, everybody has their tendencies and it seems like a lot of owners go back and do the same thing over repeatedly. And I'm always curious about the strategy of having this, you know, all-star outfield when it seems to me that, you know, throughout the year, if you're in an auction or if you're in a snake draft where you can have replacement players, there always seems to be movement in the outfield. There's three outfield positions. It's not as much as a specialty position as like second base or something like that or catching. And uh, guys seem to rotate through and get position eligibility in the outfield pretty easily. But I do notice that some owners like to go all in on outfielders where other owners uh, don't. Or so Do you have a point of view on, on that, or, Scott? I I generally think that, you know, you're better off spending the most. I mean, it, for your top player or two, I think you just go after whoever you think is the you know, best player according to your rankings. But after you, you know, whether that's an outfielder or a first baseman, whatever it is, but I think after you get through those top couple of players, it doesn't make sense to spend, you know, top dollar on second and third tier outfielders when, you know, you could get a fourth or fifth tier outfielder and it won't, the drop-off won't be that, you know, steep. But mm-hmm. you know, if you pass on second and third tier second baseman, all of a sudden you're, you know, looking to, by players that might not even have a job, you know, halfway through the season. So there's, there's, you know, to me, there's much you know, less danger in in waiting on outfielders than there is with, or spending less on outfielders in an auction than there is in, you know, waiting and, and passing up opportunities on players at other positions. Right. Um, let's talk a little bit about drafts because there's still some leagues that are snake drafts and they can be fun. Um, Top picks, hitters or pitchers? Generally, you want hitters just because the pitchers tend to be clumped together a little bit more than the hitters do. And, you know, also you really only have one or two pitcher positions that you have to fill in most leagues. You know, some leagues don't even require you to have relief pitchers or, you know, closers. You know, some you know, more progressive leagues will say you have to have at least two relievers or Two, two middle relievers and one closer, but generally, you know, pitcher is a pitcher is a pitcher. So, you know, there's really not that much of a drop off you know, from one to the next. I mean, Clayton Kershaw, in my mind, is head and shoulder head and shoulders above anybody else. So, unless you're in an AL only league, you know, and you have the chance to get him, you know, even late in the first round, you know, I think that's a, a good idea. But generally, you know, I don't know that pitchers are necessarily any more injury prone than hitters are, but when something goes wrong with a pitcher with their elbow or with their shoulder, they tend to miss a lot more time than hitters do. So, you know, there's, I guess, you know, more variance around, you know, most pitchers expected results than there is hitters results. And since the hitters tend to be a little bit more predictable, you know, people are willing to spend more money on them or draft them earlier than they would, you know, a pitcher. Okay, let's move on to uh, auctions because they're a little more complex and uh, a lot of it is uh, based on money management and the allocation between pitching and hitting and then even even closers, which is a whole subcategory. But uh, curious as to how your uh, how your leagues have gone so far, your auctions, 
And also, I was just reading today in the, the USA Sports Weekly, which I like to pick up because they do a they do a twelve team auction every year, and it's interesting to see you know who paid these experts who paid how much for what. And the the theme that came out of this year was uh, overpaying by a couple of dollars for the top players, overpaying for the top pitchers, and then kind of a scrum for the rest of the uh, auction. And uh, this was, uh, I just read the American League. Uh, I haven't gotten to the, read the National League yet. But in your experience this year for your own uh, involvement in different leagues, what what themes have you seen taking place based on the, the player movement between leagues that we talked about, uh, the, the more reliability of uh, hitters, and uh, some of the hit and miss aspects of pitching, although, you know, everything I read seems to say you better get a stud pitcher or, or two pretty good guys other, uh, because, you know, you're lost if, you, if you're scraping around with these fourth starters across the board. Yeah, I, the one thing that I've noticed is, or the one adjustment that I've made this year relative to past years, in past years, for instance, I would do my auction values, and I might think there would only be you know, four or five players that, you know, just according to mathematical calculations would go for $1. But if you look at your league's history and you see that there are 10 or 20 guys that go for $1, then you should really adjust your um, auction values ahead of time and say, okay, I know that the, you know, the, the bottom 10, 20 players are going to go for a dollar and then just reallocate those extra dollars upwards to the better players. And I find that that makes a real difference. And if you ever find yourself consistently, you know, going a dollar or two, you know, feeling like you're falling a dollar or two short or going a dollar or two more than you want to on players, there's a good chance that that's the reason that you're not, you know, properly reflecting the number of $1 players in your league versus, you know, what the, you know, the calculated values might suggest. So, for instance, so, I was in a league this past weekend where I thought, you know, just based on my calculations, that there should be five to ten one dollar players, but it turned out there were, I think, you know, twenty five or thirty. So, you know, that's you know, you know an extra fifteen twenty bucks in the auction that all of a sudden gets freed up to spend on on better players. So, yeah, I think it's important to recognize something like that and adjust for it ahead of time. Uh, let's talk about uh, injuries this year. Uh, we noticed that uh, some of the top players are already injured, uh, and then we have some question mark guys. Like in the American League, you've got Tanaka on the Yankees, um, Chris Sale. It uh, looks like you know he he's got a, bro- a broken foot, but it's coming back. Um, Garrett Richards. I'm not sure in the National League, but let's talk about some of the key injuries in both leagues from your perspective, Scott. Right. I mean, the pitchers that you mentioned there, I think the one I'd probably be least worried about um, there is is Sale because, you know, he broke his foot, but is apparently moving around again and, you know, starting to throw again. So, you know, it sounds like he'll only miss a few starts. So he's somebody that I wouldn't discount too much you also mentioned Masahiro Tanaka on the Yankees. I would avoid him like the plague this year. I mean, who knows, you know, with a you know, partially torn ligament in his elbow, whether, you know, that's going to last five more pitches or five more years. You don't really know. But, you know, my, you know, if, if I had to give an over or under, I would say, you know, his arm is probably shot by midway through the season. And then you're left, you know, having spent, you know, pretty good coin on a guy that you know, can't help you for another year and a half. So, yeah, you know, Garrett Richards, I think his was a leg injury, if I remember correctly. Yes. And I think it yes. was his patellar tendon or something mm-hmm. like that. You know, that's a pretty serious injury, and you always worry because the guys have to push off and plant on their legs that, you know, you need. You know, but you know, I imagine that they're not going to let him pitch until, you know, they feel like they're confident that he's fully healed. And, you know, it sounds like he's healing ahead of schedule. And so... You know, someone like that, again, you know, like Sale, maybe discount him a few dollars, but not too much because it doesn't sound like he's going to miss more than you know first few weeks of the season. Once a guy is projected to miss more than, say, the first month of the season, then I get really leery of you know, spending any money on them at an auction or 
you know, drafting them in the regular rounds of a, a draft. You know, if, if my league has bench spots and there's somebody like, uh, you know, the guys, you know, like, um, I don't know, say, um, yeah, Patrick Corbin for the Arizona Diamondbacks or Matt Moore for the you know, Tampa Bay Rays, who's going to come back you know, in the middle of the season. Maybe it's worth, you know, spending a couple dollars on that person in an auction or, you know, buying them in the, or drafting them in the reserve rounds of the snake draft and stashing them on your roster. And then it's almost like you get a free, you know, jolt to your improvement to your roster when they do come back. But in general, I think unless, you know, you're pretty sure and the reports are positive on the guy you know, as to when they're going to get back. You know, I, I tend to stay away from players that I know are injured at the beginning of the season. You know, there are enough players on your team that, you know, even if you started out with a fully healthy roster, there are enough players that just through random luck are, are going to get injured. And so, you know, you don't want to you know, put yourself any more in the hole by starting off the season with a bunch of players that are, are known to be hurt. Uh, let's talk about the top players in both leagues and uh, you can go by position or just top players in general. I guess American league, we'd have to say, uh, you know, Mike Trout seems to be a consensus. Who do you think in the national league? Yeah. I mean, if you're willing to take a top pick on a pitcher, you know, I really, again, I think Clayton Kershaw is just head and shoulders above anybody else. Yeah, at his position, you know, regardless, you know, of pitchers or non-pitchers, but you know, he's he's probably my top-ranked you know player in the National League from a pitcher perspective. You know, from a hitter's perspective, yeah, I really love Andrew McCutcheon and Paul Goldschmidt and you know guys like that in the National League. You know, Troy Tulowitzki, if he could ever stay healthy for a full season, would probably be a top pick. But you know, again, he's had enough seasons where he's proven that he can't seem to stay healthy for a whole season that I you know wouldn't you know invest a top pick in him. You know, from a position scarcity standpoint, Buster Posey, kinda of like Kershaw, is another player who, yeah, at catcher is, is pretty much head and shoulders above anybody else at his position. So he's somebody else that you know, I would be willing to spend a high pick on in a draft or spend a lot of money on in an auction. You know, same thing with Robinson Cano at second base. Yeah, those are some of the guys that come to mind immediately. Okay, uh, this is Guys Guys Radio. Uh, our guest is Scott Sweeney, the fantasy baseball show. You want to give us a call, uh, 347-945-5834. Um, let's talk about rookies, uh, because it seems like over the years, the more and more rookies seem to see the light of day in terms of playing time in the majors. And uh, I'm reading about a lot of new guys this year. Uh, this kid, Micah Johnson on uh, Chicago, is uh, apparently going to be the starting second baseman. We've got uh, we've got this Brian Buxton on uh, on Minnesota. What what are your some of your top? If he even makes the team, what are your top uh, rookie names that we should keep our eyes out for? Probably the one that's been getting the most attention during spring training has been Chris Bryant, the third baseman, or maybe he's going to become an outfielder, but with the resurgent Chicago Cubs, and he's somebody that, yeah, I, I think he has nine home runs in spring training already and just 26 or 28 at-bats, so he's definitely caused quite a stir. And, you know, he's not a fluke, you know, that came out of nowhere. You know, he's somebody that's definitely been on people's radar for at least the last couple of years. But, you know, and I don't, uh, again, you have to take spring training stats with a, uh, you know, many grains of salt. For instance, Jack Cust, I remember, led you know all the players in spring training home runs a year ago, and you know, I think now he's you know struggling to you know stay in in the minor leagues you know, with Toronto or whoever he's with now. So you can't put too much weight in that. But Chris Bryant looks to be the real deal. The only real intrigue with him at this point is whether he's going to wind up on the Cubs opening day roster or whether in all likelihood they'll send him down for the minor leagues for a couple of years, I mean for a couple of weeks to delay his arbitration clock enough that they would gain an extra year of control over him. Uh, Some other names, uh, you mentioned Micah Johnson uh, for the the second baseman for the White Sox. Taiwan Walker, the pitcher for the Mariners, he's also been on people's radar screens for a while. Um, 
Mookie Betts, who had a cup of coffee with the Red Sox at the end of last year, I think is going to be very impressive and staying with the same team. Uh, Rusny Castillo, the outfielder that the Red Sox signed to a big contract from Cuba last year, I think he's also going to be somebody that makes a big impact. Um, Buxton, you know, he missed a good part of last year with um, injuries, so you know, I'm not sure that he starts the season you know, in the majors, but you know, if he proves that he's fully recovered and still developing in the minors, you know, he could certainly be up by June or July. And same thing with uh, Miguel Sano, who's a third baseman for the Twins, who you know, apparently possesses all the power in the world, but not necessarily the you know, the strike zone discipline to, to be a success right off the bat. Now we've had some, uh, let's, let's throw out some new names. Um, you know, in the American league, you've got the ascent of, uh, Jose Abreu, George Springer. It looks like Cabrera has been taken down. It's got kind of got coming in like around $35 in some leagues. And some are saying that's a, a bargain. I think he had a little bit of, I don't know if he had a hip problem or something. And in the national league, you've got these new pitchers. You've got Lester, you've got Scherzer, um, interested in uh you know how they're going to how how they're going to be valued and then you've got Matt Harvey uh so thoughts on uh, some of these names in the National League and the American League Yeah sure yeah you know, starting with the guys you mentioned in the American League I'm I'm not ready to give up on Miguel Cabrera yet you know he obviously I think he's 31 32 now so you figure you know he's probably not going to improve but even if he just plateaus or takes a small step backward he's still better than just about all the other first basemen and just about all the other players period from a fantasy perspective there's nobody that really combines hitting for high average with the the power that he possesses I mean he's not going to steal you any bases but he'll help you in just about every other category. You know, Jose Abreu, he's somebody that I you know, purchased at the Tout Wars auction that I did last weekend. You know, he's somebody that you know I'm really high on. I think he'll still come at a little bit of a discount this year just because he's only done it for one year and there's still a little bit of natural skepticism. I think once a guy you know, shows that he's not a fluke, you know, then the discount goes away. But if you're willing to buy a guy coming off of one strong year, you, know, you may still get a slight discount on him. And when I say that, I'm thinking of guys like Jose Abreu this year and um, Corey Kluber, the Indians pitcher who had a breakout last season. Those guys you might still be able to get for a little bit less than what they would go for next year if they were able to replicate their success this year. You know, Springer is somebody I like a lot, too. He has a really good combination like Trout of, of stolen bases and power doesn't have quite the plate discipline yet that Mike Trout has. But then again, remember, Mike Trout struck out quite a bit when he came into the league and was able to work on that and minimize that over time. Last year he had an uptick again, but you know, he had a stated goal of you know, driving the ball more and hitting more for power. So that usually comes at the expense of strikeouts. In, moving on to the pitchers you mentioned in the National League, you know, Matt Harvey, he's somebody that, Ordinarily, somebody coming off of Tommy John surgery, you know, you want to discount that a little bit and not go too, you know, wild on them. But uh, he looks in spring training like he's back to where he was a couple of years ago. And don't forget, too, he's probably had a little bit more time to recover from his surgery than most of the players coming back from Tommy, surgery, uh, Tommy John surgery do. You know, most of the guys, if they get hurt during the season, you see them again maybe 12 to 14 months later. Harvey actually got hurt in August of 2013, so he's had, you know, over a year and a half to rest and recuperate now and rehab. So, you know, he might have some rest initially, but just based on, you know, how hard he's been throwing and that he doesn't seem to be having any problems with his control in spring training, I think, you know, we could probably look forward to him being the same pitcher that he was a couple years ago when he started the All-Star game for the National League. Lester and Scherzer both moving over from the American League to the National League. Like both of those guys a lot, especially Scherzer, just because you know, he strikes out more guys than Lester does. But I think both of those guys are going to be really successful in the National League. And you, know, you always want to give a little bit of a bump up to pitchers moving from the American League to the National League, just by virtue of the fact sure. that they you know, are facing a pitcher then as the ninth hitter instead of the designated hitter. So that's sort of a built-in advantage for them. 
what is, just out of curiosity, what does guys like, you know, what do Trout go for in your Tout Wars? He was the most expensive player by far. He went for $48 in a 15-team mixed league, and I think the next most expensive player was Andrew McCutcheon, who went for $44. Uh, Kershaw was the most expensive pitcher. He went for $36, and that was actually you know one of my purchases. And uh, other than that, I don't think maybe Felix Hernandez went for thirty dollars, but you know no other pitcher went for thirty dollars if memory serves. Let's talk about uh, some sleepers because uh, you know it seems like from what I've read about uh, some of these auctions, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you know the stars are getting you know people are paying retail plus for them, and uh, but there's some scarcity with the superstars now. And particularly with the pitchers, and uh, you know, there's a bunch of good first basemen. But after that, you know, you've got a couple of second basemen, a couple of third basemen, and there's a drop off. There's a there's a lot of outfielders. So, let's talk about uh, sleepers in the American League and the National League. Guys to look out for. Guys who are on the way up that may may come in a little bit under the radar for our listeners. Right. I mentioned Rusny Castillo already for the. Um, Red Sox and Mookie Betts, I think both of those guys are a little mm-hmm. bit undervalued. But, you know, of course, as rookies, you know, who didn't get to play much last year, you would you would sort of expect that. Um, Jan Gomes, the catcher with the Cleveland Indians, is somebody that I'm really impressed by. You know, he's just you know, not real flashy. He doesn't get a lot of publicity. But, you know, he's somebody that could easily give you 15 to 20 you know, home runs, you know, pretty good batting average, 280 batting average, 70 RBIs, and you know, he's not going to run much. But then again, you know, not many catchers do. But you know, he's somebody. You know, I, I really love um, you know, Josh Donaldson, who's not certainly not a sleeper, but I like him a lot more playing in Toronto than I did in Oakland, just because he'll get half his games in a much smaller ballpark. Uh, if you want other names that people may not be as familiar with, I think Steven Souza, who's um, an outfielder for Tampa Bay, you know, somebody that I would keep my eye on. Um, you know, that's you know another name that comes to mind. Uh, Cole Calhoun with the Angels, I think, is still somebody that probably doesn't get enough you know, respect. Um, Rajai Davis, if he, depending on whether he or Anthony Ghost won the center field job in Detroit, I think he's somebody that, you know, he's a little bit older, but you know, people underestimate, you know. You know, the amount of power he brings in addition to the steals. You know, he's somebody that could steal 50, 60 bases if he played every day and also you know, hit 10, 15 home runs, and that's a pretty unusual combination to, to find. Um, Leonis Martin with the, the Rangers is another guy that I think you know, a lot of people don't necessarily you know, realize how good he is, and you might get him at a slight discount in an, in an auction or be able to find him a little bit later in a draft than you might expect. Okay. How about uh, a lot of great names here to look out for? Uh, busts, players that... Um have been highly touted. Maybe they're on the downside. Maybe they just had a good year last year. Maybe they had a not good year last year and they're like headed out. Like maybe, you know, I'd, I'll put somebody out there like Matt Dominguez or Juan Castro yeah. on, the, on the Astros. Yeah, I mean, I look at some guys that I just don't really see them having lived up to their hype. And I'll throw out an example you know, from each league, I think in the American League, Manny Machado with the Orioles, third baseman, is somebody that I don't think his production to date has justified the hype. And there's certainly, you know, he's still young enough that he could certainly improve. You know, I think he's only 23, 24, and usually you hear of hitters being in their peak when they're, you know, 27 to 31 range generally. But, you know, he's somebody that I haven't really seen a lot of improvement from him in the couple of years that he's been in the league. And, you know, like I said, a few injury concerns there. But, yeah, I, I just – I really don't understand why people are willing to pay as much as they are for somebody that if you just looked at his stats, you know, you would think he's a rather mediocre American League third baseman rather than the, you know, future all-star that people seem to be willing to pay for. Um, moving over to the National League, one name that got a lot of mention this offseason was Justin Upton, who got traded – 
from the Braves to the Padres. But, yeah, I mean, his brother, you know, BJ or Melvin or whatever he's going by this year, you know, he's sort of a lost cause, I think. But, you know, even Justin Upton, who's, you know, you know, certainly more talented than, than BJ and has a better track record. I just think a lot of people are willing to pay for him, you know, top dollar or draft him in the first or second round of a, a snake draft. And, and I just don't really see that that's uh, worth doing. Um, D Gordon, who had a, a breakout season last year for the Dodgers, you know, is somebody else I'd be leery of this year. He got traded to Miami, and his main asset is his speed. But you know, there's some question of you know whether he's going to be able to you know, maintain a high enough average to make that you know speed worthwhile. You know, the old adage about you can't steal first base. Yeah, you know, he's he's somebody I'd be a little bit leery of, and that I think is generally going for a little bit more money than I think is is justified. About. Uh... Closers. Let's talk about closers a little bit. National League, American League. Uh, what? There is a, you know, there's a handful of guys who are locked in. The Greg Hollands, Dave Robertson, the American League, uh, and then uh, maybe maybe uh, Zach Britton, Cody Allen, and then it seems at Houston Street. But it seems like there's, uh, as always, a lot of these roles are up for grabs. What's your take on what's going on in both leagues, closer wise, and what? What's your advice strategically for our listeners who are entering uh, their draft or auction in the next week or so? Sure. One thing that I've done a little bit differently this year than I have in previous years, and in previous years I've generally lumped all pitchers together and said, all right, I'm going to spend, you know, the the general rule of thumb is 70% of your auction budget on hitters and 30% on on pitchers, you know, within that, there's a lot of variation. Some people will want to pay within their pitching budget, will want to pay top dollar for starting pitchers because you know, their job tends to be more secure than that of a closer. But what I've actually started doing this year is even subdividing my pitching budget up and say I allocated 30% of my total budget to pitchers. I might now, you know, allocate 20% of that to starting pitchers and 10% of that to closers. So if I'm allocating 10% of the $260 budget to the closers, you know, that gives me $26 to spend. You know, I'm probably only going to get one top-ranked closer if I'm, you know, willing to, to pay, you know, that much. But, you know, $26 will probably buy me a top one top-shelf closer and then one guy, you know, sort of in the, the third or fourth tier. You know, the other option to that would be to go more with some middle tier options and try to get, you know, I think you mentioned Houston Street and Cody Allen. Those are guys that are both in that, you know, second, third tier. Those guys might be worth, you know, trying to get two of those as opposed to, you know, Greg Holland and then, you know, pairing him with, um, you know, whoever the closer for Tampa turns out to be this year. But, you know, generally there's a couple of top options in each league. You mentioned the two in the American League, you know, Greg Holland. And I, I don't think a lot of people realize yet how good David Robertson is, but, you know, he left the Yankees this year and he'll be the White Sox closer this year. And I think he'll be somebody that, you know, now that he's you know, switched teams and gotten the you know, the spotlight that comes with a high-profile free agent contract, I think more people are going to realize just how good he is. In the National League, you also have a couple of top options, those being uh, Craig Kimbrell with the Braves and Aroldis Chapman with the Reds. You know, I think generally what I try to do when I'm looking at closers, whether it's a mixed-league auction or, say, an AL-only auction, is just to separate the closers into tiers and then you know, maybe I have A, B, and C with A being the top shelf guys, B being the guys that might not be quite that good but still have guaranteed jobs, and then C being the guys that, you know, you're really not sure if they're going to have a job uh, next month, you know, much less three months from now. And, you know, I'm looking at guys like Joe Nathan when I say that. But, you know, I generally try to stay away from the guys that I would call tier C guys and, you know, see if I can't get one or two guys in tier B a little more cheaply and you know, certainly if any of the tier A guys fall below you know, the price that I think they're worth, I'll you know, stretch a little bit and try to get them. But uh, generally I think those guys tend to go for more than I'm willing to spend in an auction. Okay. How about um, a 
couple of names, uh, comeback players. Uh, you know, let's for instance, I'm not saying they're going to make it or not, but I'd love to get your opinion. Uh, let's say Car, you know, Carlos Beltran, guys who maybe had an off year. Jason Kipnis, guys who had an off year last year, maybe it was due to injuries. Um, who do you who do you like? Who do you not like in terms of uh, comebacks and failures, if you will? Yeah, I think. You know, the two guys that you just mentioned are, are real interesting you know, comparisons because on the one hand, you know, Beltron is, I think, 37 now, if I'm not mistaken. You know, he's been around for quite a while, and you know, for the last five, six years, he's been a known you know, injury risk. So, you know, buyer beware if you're going to invest a roster spot in, in someone like that. I mean, he could pay off very handsomely for you if you get him at a discount and he happens to stay healthy and play you know, 140 games during the season. But, you know, it's just as likely that, you know, he'll get hurt and you'll wind up, you know, getting 90 to 100 games out of him and, you know, having, you know, buyer's remorse with him. Kipnis is a different story just because he's a lot younger. I think he's 26, 27. And, you know, someone like that, mm-hmm. I'm willing to give a pass on one bad season and you know especially if there was some injury that may not have been previously disclosed I mean with him he did miss some time during the season so that was a known injury but you know yeah I I have more um, optimism for a bounce back from him than I do from uh, than I do from uh, Beltran yeah some of the other guys that you know I look at you know you look at you know some of the pitchers that missed all of last year or part of last year due to you know, Tommy John surgery, and then you you know look at guys like Matt Moore that'll be coming back during the middle of the season, or Martin Perez with the Rangers is another guy, you know that you know is on my radar screen from in that you know category. Mm-hmm. So those are a couple guys in the American League you know, that I would be you know keeping my eye on in an auction. In the National League, you already mentioned Matt Harvey, although I don't think he's going to sneak up on anybody, but you know. Some of the other names I mentioned before, like Patrick Corbin with the Diamondbacks, I think is a good example of a pitcher uh, or Matt Moore that we talked about before. You know, guys that are going to be back maybe a couple months into the season that if you have, you know, bench spots on your roster that they might be a good investment. How do you... uh... When you're looking I was just at going to speed. throw Carlos Gonzalez's go name go into that mix okay. too. You know the mm-hmm. Colorado Rockies outfielder. And he's another one that's sort of perpetually injured and is now, I think, you know, 31, 32. But uh, you know, he's somebody that, again, you know, if you price him, anticipating you'll get 120 games out of him, you know, you may get a pleasant surprise. But you know, if you take someone like Carlos Gomez or you know Troy Tulowitzki and you know, price them as though you're going to get 150 games out of them. You're almost, you know, certain to be disappointed there. Hmm. Okay. Let's talk about speed, and then uh, then we'll move on to predictions for the divisions and World Series. And maybe we'll take a moment to talk about the Yankees and the Mets, our local teams. But um, how, as a, the fantasy baseball Sherpa, what's your what's your position, if you will, on speed? when to draft it, how much do you have a separate kind of bucket for speed or do you just factor it in with the uh, uh, player's overall package? You did uh, mention Raha. More the latter. I know a lot of people will tend to, you know, see a guy and I'll just throw out, you know, he's not an American League guy, but Billy Hamilton with the um, – you know, Cincinnati Reds or, you know, now this year, you know, you'll be hearing, you know, Dalton Pompey's name a lot with the, you know, Blue Jays is another rookie that, you know, we didn't mention before, but he's likely to be their starting center fielder or, you know, Micah Johnson if he gets the White Sox second base job. It's tempting to just think, oh, I'll just pluck good money down on that one player and then I'll just, you know, have that category addressed and you know, then I you know don't have to worry about that. I can just load up on power with the rest of my roster. But that always comes at a cost with you know the cost being of course that if something happens to that one player, either they get injured or if like Mike Trout last year, you know, all of a sudden the guy goes from stealing thirty bases in a season to stealing fifteen bases in a season just because his game changes or his body changes, you know, then you're kinda of out of luck. So I tend to 
try to load up on guys that can steal 10, 15, 20 bases and give them preference over the guy and, you know, have something to offer in other categories too, as opposed to the guys that are just good at, you know, getting on base and, you know, stealing bases and scoring runs, then, you know, if the guy has mm-hmm. no power whatsoever, then chances are, you know, I'm going to avoid him for my rosters. Okay. Uh, let's let's talk about your predictions then for uh, division winners, wild card teams, and uh, World Series teams and winners. Sure. In the in the American League, we'll start with the American League. Um, American League East, to me, sad to say, as a Yankees fan, but you know, I think pretty much any of the teams in that division, with the exception of the Yankees, has a chance to win that division. Uh, if you had to. If I have to give a pick, I'll say Toronto wins it, although I think you could make a strong case for Boston, too. You know, they're, obviously, their starting pitching isn't as strong as it's been in seasons past, but you know they have a surfeit of outfielders right now, and they could very well you know, package a couple guys and turn in a couple of younger guys, too, and, and turn them into a, a top-notch you know, pitcher. Um, in the Central Division, I think it's going to be a two-team race between the White Sox and the Tigers, but I'm just not sure that the Tigers will be able to overcome losing um, Max Scherzer this year. And with the White Sox you know, having sail back hopefully soon after the season starts and having added you know, Jeff Samarja uh, and you know, pairing them with you know, Jose Quintana, who I think is somebody that's under the radar. Yeah, I think they have a pretty they have th- their top 3 starting pitchers are, you know, just about as good as anybody's with the possible exception of the Washington Nationals. So I like you know Toronto, the White Sox, and I also like the Los Angeles Angels out west. You know, a lot of people are going to be picking Seattle and I actually would pen them in for a wild card spot along with Detroit, but I think if Garrett Richards comes back the way he's supposed to and you know, Matt Shoemaker pitches anything close to the way you know, he did last year, that they're going to be able to withstand the loss of uh, Josh Hamilton for the, you know, at least you know, a couple months and more likely you know, longer than that if he actually, for his drug relapse. Um, in the National League, I like the Nationals to win the National League East rather easily. I don't think any team's going to come close to them. The Central Division, I think, is going to be the most interesting. The National League Central, I think, will be the most interesting division in baseball. I think any one of four teams could win that with you know, St. Louis being my pick over the Cubs and then Pittsburgh and Cincinnati not being far behind. Uh, in the West, I like the Dodgers. And if I have to pick two wildcard teams, I'll go with Chicago and San Francisco. Looking at the playoffs, I like Washington and the White Sox, mainly on the strength of their starting pitching. And if those two teams meet in the World Series, again, just based on the strength of starting pitching, I'll predict uh, Washington to win the World Series. But for what it's worth, I think I also picked them last year on the strength of their starting pitching. And I think I picked Washington and Detroit last year. And they both looked on paper, good on paper before the season, but uh, neither one of them was still standing by the time it got to the World Series. Mm-hmm. Well, fantastic. Um, no, no playoffs for the Mets. No, I, I, I think they'll be a 500 team, but I think that's not going to be enough to challenge. I, I think you're going to have to win 86, 87 games to get into the NL playoffs. And you know, while that's certainly, you know, within the possible you know, range for them, I, I don't see that as happening. I think. Teams like Chicago and even San Francisco, in spite of the power that they've lost, I think have higher upsides than the Mets do. And unfortunately for our Yankees, you know, again, and it's based on the assumption that Tanaka is probably gone by midway through the season. I just don't think that right. they're, you know, going to have enough pitching. And you know, I, I think their offense is still going to be pretty anemic this year. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, fantastic. Well. This has been Guys Guys Radio. Our special guest, Scott Sweeney, the fantasy sports Sherpa, tonight wearing his fantasy baseball Sherpa hat. Scott, could you tell our listeners a little bit where they can find you and where they can sign up your, with your service now since the season is upon us and it's time to take advantage of your insights? Yes, thanks, Robert. Um, my website is fantasy baseball sherpa, S H E R P A dot com. 
And, you know, right now I've got my preseason projections there. It's a customizable product that helps you rank players before your draft or auction. I also have an in-season product that, you know, sort of carries that same idea of player rankings through, you know, to the regular season. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter, fantasy underscore Sherpa, and I'm always happy to, you know, get feedback and, you know, answer people's questions, you know, as I can. Fantastic. And, uh, uh, I will look forward to seeing you on Monday night. Sounds great, Robert. Thanks for so much for having me on the show, and I'll look forward to seeing you Monday night, too. All right. Well, thanks so much. That's been our show for this evening. Our special guest, Scott Sweeney, the Fantasy Sports Sherpa. Uh, please check out his websites. Uh, great information for baseball, great information for football, fantasybaseballsherpa.com, fantasyfootballsherpa.com. Um, next week, our guest is Art Markham. Uh, he's a, a New Age author. He has a how-to book we're going to talk about on time management. And uh, just just remember what I was saying at the beginning of the show is, uh, you know, there's so much anger out there. Let's 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 always give people the benefit of the doubt when we can, especially when we're talking about children. So um, remember, guys, guys, it's all about better men, better world. So uh, and also, guys, guys, finish first.